I'm serious. So I'm kind of preaching to the choir today with this message. We're going to look at some people who were really disciplined in following the Lord. And I think it's so fitting because it takes a lot of discipline the day after Christmas, a day that has so much build up. It's Christmas. And then the next day is a letdown. I mean, it just inevitably is, right? December 26th, all of this. And then you're like, oh, now it's another day. But that's, that's life. And that's what it means to be disciplined following the Lord. But what's interesting is you hear me say that word, and I'm sure for a lot of us are like, oh, we're talking about discipline. Discipline, when done right, actually leads to joy. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to see some joy-filled people. But it didn't just happen. It came with some hard work. So let's take a look at Luke 2. So if you can turn to Luke chapter 2, 21. The scripture is really fitting for today as well because it's right after Jesus was born, a few months later. Um, So while you're turning there, though, I want to share with you about kind of a hero of the faith for me anyways. And maybe some of you know who this is. His name is Pastor Tom Nesbitt. And Tom has been a pastor since he was in his late teens. He has an incredible, incredible story, but he's been a faithful pastor for years right now. Um, he's, he does some counseling and, and, stu- and such over at Cornerstone Church of Ames. Um, but he is well into his 80s. And on top of that, he's an incredible dad. Many of you know Troy Nesbitt, who started Cornerstone Church, the founding pastor there, um, and has been a great mentor to me. Um, but Tom is a portrait of discipline. And here is one poignant way in which he is. So Tom Nesbitt, for decades has read a book of the Bible every day. Imagine the wisdom, the, the, the Bible knowledge, the relational depth with God you would have if you did that. I, I admit that that is not my practice, but what an incredible portrait of discipline. I, I hope you have a Tom Nesbitt in your life to look up to. There's plenty here that I could point your way to. We're going to see in this scripture, though, The joy of living a disciplined and dependent life on God. And and I've noticed that there's kind of two general types of followers of Christ when it comes to spiritual disciplines. You kind of have one camp that's more the the really dutiful people. And, And these people are super disciplined. They never miss a day of reading their Bible or a week of going to church. If the door's open, I'm there sort of people. The advantage for them is they're always putting themselves in a position to love and live for Jesus, right? They're at least putting themselves in that position. The disadvantage for them, though, you're like, there's a disadvantage? There is. It can quickly go to just going through the motions. It can turn into just walking through those things heartless and not really connecting with the Lord. You have kind of another camp of believers, and this is the more sporadic people when it comes to the disciplines of following Christ. So sporadically, they'll get on a kick of, of doing this prayer thing or doing this Bible reading plan or, or coming to church regularly or something like that, but not always. And you're like, there's an advantage to that. There actually is because these people, when they're doing it, they are all in. Okay. Usually they're, they're just passionate. They're all in. It's meaningful. It's relational. They're not just checking boxes off here but the disadvantage is when they aren't they're actually starving themselves spiritually so wherever you're at on that spectrum 
I think you're going to be really helped by this scripture today. So let's look at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. The first disciplined people we see are Mary and Joseph, Jesus' earthly parents. Verse 21, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons and a partridge in a pear tree. Uh, no, not that. But it is fascinating, though, that we're doing that today and turtle doves are in here. But that's besides the point. Mary and Joseph, they were disciplined people. Look at this text, verse 21. Um, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. This was according to God's good law, his good rules. Also in verse 21, they name him Jesus, just as God had told them to. They were disciplined. They did what God asked. Verses 22 and 23, they present Jesus to the Lord, just as God's good law prescribed. And verse 24, they offer a sacrifice, just like God asked. And we know here that they are especially disciplined because clearly they are poor. Here's how I know. Turtle doves and pigeons were cheap to buy at this time. Okay? They weren't offering a goat or a bull or a sheep, which means you, you had some wealth if you were offering that type of sacrifice, but they didn't have that. So they were poor and still were like, nope, we're going to do this. This is what God asks of us. We're going to be disciplined and do this. Multiple acts of obedience and discipline are shown here, which really show their love for God. Mary and Joseph just didn't say, well, I don't feel like it today. They didn't say, well, if I have to. No, they were disciplined, but they were also dependent on God. All of those things I just pointed out in this text point to them being dependent on God. They're saying, we can't raise this child without you, God. But they also have joy. Now, biblical joy, true joy is this. It's satisfaction and delight in God, independent of circumstances. Satisfaction and delight in God independent of circumstances. These verses here don't tell us anything about Mary and Joseph's emotions, though. However, they do tell us about their circumstances. A few short verses earlier, in verse 19, Mary's response to Jesus' birth and the shepherds showing up, Mary says she was treasuring up all of those things in her heart and meditating on them. Now we get a window into her emotions here. Then the next thing we see, verses 21 to 24, is her response, which is devotion to God. This shows incredible joy in God. They're like, God, you gave us the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior of the world. And so Mary thought about all of this in her heart. And it moved her to discipline. And I'm sure it brought them a lot of joy to do so. The next person we see who is really disciplined and dependent on God was Simeon. 
one of the more underrated characters, the next two people, Simeon and Anna, in the Bible, because we don't know much about them. But what we do know is incredible. So look, Luke two twenty five. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. He had been revealed, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon was incredibly disciplined. Verse 25 The two words that mark this man's life. What do you want your life to be marked by? Well, here's the two words that mark his. Righteous and devout. Righteous and devout. Righteous here, this word in the Greek and the original language is talking about a godly reputation. This is talking about being well thought of by other people. But he's also devout. This has to do with the relationship with God. He was disciplined in observing God's Loss. Both of those things in the same person is rare. To have someone who is disciplined and consistent in his own behavior with other people and disciplined and consistent in his behavior towards God, socially and spiritually, this guy was really disciplined. But Simeon was also dependent. He wasn't just disciplined. He was very dependent on God. Verse 27, and throughout this text, he's guided by the Holy Spirit. That's what leads him into the temple to discover Jesus, the Messiah. Now, two fascinating things about Simeon being guided by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit only guides and empowers certain people for certain tasks pre-Pentecost. Okay? In Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit come and people who believe in Christ get the Holy Spirit. And that's, it's no magic formula, okay? You just, when you believe, you get the Holy Spirit. That's true for us today, but we're not there yet in history. Jesus is a baby. He hadn't lived, died, rose from dead, rose from the dead, gone back up to heaven. So this is pre that. And this guy was one of the few people who gets the guidance and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In this time period. Now why? Why Simeon? I think first just because he was at the right time. At the, at the right place at the right time. What's happening is really really important. Jesus is here. But it's also because this guy is a special guy. Simeon listened to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He could have ignored the Holy Spirit as we often do. But instead he put himself in a place. To hear from him. His relationship with God was close. And he heard from him and listened and obeyed. Simeon was a shining example of dependence on the Holy Spirit, on God. But look at Simeon's joy here. 
the Holy Spirit empowered him, and that's where his joy stemmed. Okay, his, the Holy Spirit's stamp was on him. But imagine the joy and satisfaction and delight he got. The author and source of the only true joy. The Holy Spirit, God, was working in and through him. At a time when that did not happen to people. Probably a big reason he was thought so well of other people. As is true now as well. Is he had the joy of the Lord within him. You know those people you meet? We were like, they just, they just have the joy of the Lord radiating from them. And it's like, wow, this, he is full of the Spirit. That was Simeon. But it, he also, it did, that's where it stemmed, the Holy Spirit, as, as any true joy stems from. But he, it also came from his posture. His posture was one of looking forward. The Holy Spirit enhanced and, and fueled his joy. But it also came from Simeon's longing. His looking forward to Israel's consolation. Verse 25. His life was marked by and filled with joy. Because of this holy discontentment that he had in his life. He was looking forward to the Messiah. The Savior to come. And until that happened. I'm longing and praying for this to happen. And finding my joy in what is to come. I love verse 26. The Holy Spirit put that spark of longing for the Messiah in Simeon. But don't miss it. Simeon then built his life around that. His mission, his purpose, his joy was not rooted in now. It was rooted in later. And that is the key for you and me as well today. We're in... A time in history where we are waiting for the second return of Jesus. And right now there will be days that aren't all of that happy. And circumstantially we will not be able to find joy. But if we have a posture of looking forward to his return. There's always joy. There's always abundant joy. Our joy needs to be rooted not in now but in later. Let's look at Anna. Three verses. That's all we get on her. But Luke 2, 36. She's incredible. There was, a, there was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of, uh, of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's break this down because it's just three verses, but she's incredible. Anna's really disciplined. Verse 36, she was well along in years. This sets the whole stage for how disciplined she was. She wasn't just disciplined for a little bit and then wanes a little bit and, and goes back and forth. No, for decades. I mean, I get tired of praying for someone for every day, sometimes after a month or after a year. And I'm sure you do as well. But she's doing this for 84 years. Verse 37, after her husband died, she was a widow for 37 years. Now, give you some perspective. It's a different culture, okay? So don't be too shocked by this. The, culturally, you were, you were married at around age 13. If you're 13, imagine that, right? It'd be crazy. But that's what would happen. So by her early 20s, her husband has died. 
And 84 years later, she is found being devoted to God. Spending her whole time serving God in the temple. She's, do the math, she's around 104 years old now. But look at how disciplined she is. Look at her specific disciplines. It says she prayed and she fasted. Prayer is, is talking with God, but fasting is a whole nother level. Fasting is denying yourself food or something else in order to hunger and thirst and long for God. It's one of the most intense, difficult spiritual disciplines. When does she do it? Some of the time? No, it says day and night, all the time. It's not a little bit of prayer. It's not a little bit of fasting. It's a ton. I don't care how disciplined you are, okay? You may be really disciplined, but she's got you beat. But Anna isn't just disciplined. She is dependent on God, so dependent that she chose a relationship with God over relationship and companionship with a man. For 84 years. God was her everything. Anna was obsessed with God. Think about it. She depended on him more than she depended on food. She depended on him more than she depended on people. What a pure, undistracted picture of dependence on God we have here in Anna. Now, there's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with marriage. There's nothing wrong with companionship. Certainly not anything inherently wrong with relationships with other people, but they all easily start to become God to us and distract us from him. She had none of those distractions because she had a singular focus. But Anna wasn't just disciplined and she wasn't just dependent. She was joyful. Anna was one of the few people in the Bible who was a prophetess. This simply is just a female prophet who is a messenger of God. The Holy Spirit spoke clearly and regularly with her and through her. And that is where her joy stemmed from. God himself. But her, but her joy stemming from the Spirit also came from her position. Which was the same position that Simeon had. Which was one of looking forward. Verse 38, don't miss it. Who is she talking to? At that very moment, she came up. What does that mean? It means she went up to baby Jesus and to Mary and Joseph. And then she thanked God and spoke to who? All who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. You know what that tells us about her? She was also one looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Her joy was put there by God himself and became even more unshakable joy by her posture and pursuit of God and looking forward and fasting and longing for what God was going to do. And she gets to experience it. She gets to experience the fulfillment of that fasting and that praying and that longing by meeting Jesus. Then... We never hear about this gal again. She's gone. Okay? Short, sweet, powerful, joyful Anna. Done. I wish there was more about her in the Bible. But I want to talk about you and I. Living disciplined and dependent lives produces joy in our lives as well. 
Let's talk about discipline. What daily or weekly rhythms have you built into your life to help you love and live for Jesus? I want to suggest four bare minimum spiritual disciplines to help you stay nourished. We'll call them four meals a day because three is never enough, is it? So four spiritual disciplines, four meals a day. Prayer, number one. Do you have designated daily time to talk to God? And here's what I don't mean. I don't mean designated time each day to repeat something you said the day before without your heart engaged. What I'm talking about is time set aside to having relationship, conversation with God. Where you're amazed by Him. Where you're confessing sin. Where you are enjoying Him. Where you're talking like you would with me across the table having coffee except... You're talking to the God of the universe. Is prayer built into your life regularly? Number two, the Bible. Are you taking in the Bible? Do you have a designated daily time to hear from God through his word? I've got two resources and opportunities for you for 2022. The first one is a Bible reading plan. Front and back. These are on the table. Welcome table as you walk out today. Feel free to grab one. And this is, this is kind of your classic walks through the Bible in a year. Now what I like about this one. It's a little different. Is that you get a day off each week. But the, the catch is that each month you have a sprint reading. So you're expected to read through all of Ezekiel in your spare time in July. So you know. Have some grace with yourself. If you don't get to those, that's cool. Maybe you want to do this. But if you want more of a challenge and you're like, I I need to take in more of the Bible um, and I want to get through the Bible in a year, this is for you, okay? But for those that hear that and go, whoa, okay, cool, I'm out. Um, I've got one for you called rest. And we have these out here as well. And it's very simple. All you got here is a verse. And I don't think it's oversimplified. And don't just grab this to have a shorter time with God either. Here's why. If you actually do this, it won't be shorter. This is helping you meditate on Scripture. To help you take it in and chew on it and consider it and talk to Him about it. It has you read the verse in your head and then out loud and then write it out. There's something that just happens when you write it out to just help you take it in. And then to pray, to talk to God about it. Simple as that. This, this focus is more on relationship with God. Maybe you've done a Bible reading plan for years and God is saying to you, hey, I want you to slow down with me and have more of a relationship and less of reading a book with me. So everyone's kind of in a different spot. Those are very vastly different plans. But if you don't already have a system, if you don't already have something to help you, grab that. Okay, we got prayer. We got Bible reading. Number three, community. Do you have designated times in your week to connect with God's people? I don't mean showing up and sitting in church, coming late and leaving early. That's not actually connecting with God's people. I mean being intentional when you are at church with other people. I mean going to a connection group. If you want to get in one, I would love to help you find one. Or you can come to mine. Come on over to my house. It'll be great. 
Bible study, one-on-one. You're getting together with other believers. It doesn't even have to be that formal. You just get together. You're encouraging each other, challenging each other, opening up with one another, living in the light with other believers. Prayer, Bible, community. And the last one might be a little bit shocking. Sleep for sleep. Are you consistently getting the amount of sleep you need? Which is a little bit different for everyone. Where'd you come up with that, Matt? I don't see that in the Bible. Let me make a strong case for you. Here's what I know about you because it's true about me. When you are tired, the fruits of the Spirit start to go out the window. Gentleness, (laughs) when you're tired. Not seeing a lot of gentle people when they're tired. Much less patience, joy, all of the fruits of the Spirit. Also, the other meals, prayer, Bible, and community, inevitably start to slip when you're tired. Sleep could be the most godly thing you do. In fact, I invite you, this is crazy that I'm saying this. I'm going to regret it. Someone told me once, Matt, if you're preaching and someone's falling asleep, just leave them alone. It's probably, they probably really need it. And maybe it's the most godly thing they did that week. It's the most rest they've gotten the whole week. So, um, I'm not inviting you to do that. I'm not saying that should be a regular pattern. I'm just saying, sometimes you, you just need a good amount of sleep in order to live a spirit-filled life. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Some other helpful snacks to work in if you got your four square meals down. Um, journaling is a great discipline. Silence. Solitude. Just being alone. Music, singing it, playing it, taking it in, memorizing scripture, fasting, studying the Bible. There's, the list could go on and on. A helpful resource for you if you, if you want some more on kind of the, the more uh, rare disciplines that are still really helpful, helpful is a book called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster's. Now let me say something about disciplines. The measuring stick for your disciplines cannot be consistency. This grates against probably your, what maybe you've even been told in churches growing up. But listen, your measuring stick cannot be consistency. Consistency is important. Don't get me wrong, especially when you don't feel like it, right? Healthy food is still good for your body, even when you can't taste it because you have COVID, right? Healthy food is still good for you, even when your taste buds aren't working, right? Consistency is important, but it's not the most important measuring stick for spiritual disciplines. Here's what it is. Ready? Connection. Do you have a transaction with God with this discipline or do you have an interaction? Let me tell you the difference. You know the difference. You go to Casey's right after this. You walk in. You're getting some gum. Um, I never get gum, but I'm getting gum today for some reason. I'm getting gum. I bring it there. Hey, how's it, how are you doing? Merry Christmas. I said, oh, I'm doing great. Merry Christmas to you. You want a receipt? No, I don't want a receipt. I'm not into that. Hey, so have a great day. Did I interact with that person? No, I fake interacted with them, right? I was pleasant. I showed pleasantries. But that was a transaction for all intensive purposes. 
But let's say I walk out into the parking lot and I see a friend and we start talking and they're sharing about how how Christmas was fantastic and and their kids got this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Christmas was all right. But uh, the dog woke me up at 4 a.m. or whatever. We don't even have a dog. I'm coming up with strange things today for this illustration. But we're like, hey, let's hang out this weekend. That'd be fun. Sure, let's hang out. And then we move on. We just interacted. The difference is subtle, but you know the difference. We know the difference. Here's what I'm getting at. Disciplines can be very dangerous because one day you can interact with God in a meaningful way with the exact same discipline and the next day just transact with God. It's a heart posture. All sorts of things could be said of how to get your heart in the right posture, but we don't have time. But I I would say that one thing that's been helpful to me and many others is to set a chair right in front of me to remind me that I am interacting with a person. Yes, he's the God of the universe. Yes, I should be flat on my face worshiping him, but yet he invites me to the table as well. One final note on disciplines. Keep the main ingredients, but change the recipe every once in a while. Change the recipe. Right now, I'm listening to Scripture. Haven't done that a lot in my life. Same ingredient, Scripture. Taking it in a different way. I have more ideas for that if you want them. If you want some ideas of how to just change it up. I've had to kind of become an expert of that because my job in a lot of ways is God's word. But yet, I need God just as next, just as much as the next person. And it can't just be a job. I need Jesus desperately today. I need relationship, interaction, not transaction with him. So I've had to get real creative. So if you want some creative ideas, I've got it. But change the recipe. Keep the main ingredients. Okay, now let's talk about dependence. Dependence on God isn't about disciplines anymore. This is what the disciplines are meant to lead us into. We're not talking about John, or sorry, we are talking about what Jesus describes in John 15 as abiding with him. A posture of, I need you. This isn't a task to complete. Dependence on God is a way of life. It means our gut reaction is turned more and more from, I've got this, I can do this, to... I need you. Help, Jesus. Strengthen me, Holy Spirit. Richard Foster, in the book I mentioned earlier, Celebration of Discipline, said this, Joy is the keynote of all the disciplines. The purpose of the disciplines is liberation from the stifling slavery to self-interest and fear. It's an amazing quote. Keep that up. Feel free to take a picture of it. Disciplines really do lead to joy. Because disciplines, when done right, when we're really interacting with God, rid us of ourselves and of our worries and fears. And they fill us with the fountain of joy himself, Jesus, in his glorious truth. So let's talk about joy to end. Joy now is found in the Holy Spirit. 
It stems from the Holy Spirit, just like in Simeon and Anna's life. Look at this scripture, Titus 3, 4 through 7. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by who? The Holy Spirit. He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Leave this up. Do you see what this scripture is saying? Did you catch it? The moment that you are saved, you are given the undeserved gift of the Holy Spirit, not in a little amount, but abundantly. Yes, we are justified. We are made right with God. We have right standing with God. It says that in here. Yes, we are heirs. We have an inheritance coming. Yes, we have eternal life. We have hope of eternal life. A sure hope, a living hope. But all of that produces joy in us by the Holy Spirit. Joy is not mentioned in this passage, but it's all over it. The moment we are saved... We have joy, regardless of what you have gone through, regardless of what you're going through today or will go through tomorrow. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on you abundantly and you have abundant joy if you are in Christ. If you're here, if you're listening to this and you do not have Christ as your Savior and you are feeling joyless, I invite you to repent of your sins. Confess to God that you are in desperate need of a Savior from your sin and believe that He went to the cross to die for that sin. Took your place, took the punishment that you rightly deserved and believe that He did that and didn't end there. He rose from the dead to give you life and give you the Holy Spirit and you will receive the Spirit today. Now, do that. You want joy? Feeling stuck? Believe in Him. If you have believed in him, remember and experience this joy by looking forward. Remember, that's what Simeon and Anna and Mary and Joseph did. They looked forward in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 talks about this. It says, therefore, since we have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And here it is, for the joy that lay before him, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. According to this scripture, what drove Jesus and filled him with joy, even while enduring the cross, it wasn't his present happiness. Do you think he was happy while he was getting crucified on a Roman cross? While he was being beaten and whipped and mocked? No way that was happy. Happiness was nowhere to be found. What was Jesus doing? He was looking forward to the future joy of conquering death and evil once and for all. And looking for the moment, the opportunity when you would believe in him. What drives us and fills us with joy even while we're enduring pain and hardship now when happiness is nowhere to be found? 
is not found in here and now. It's found in the future, in the future joy of Jesus coming again and us being with him for eternity. And there will be no more pain and no more tears. That is what fuels our joy today, church. And a key way to keep looking forward, to come full circle, is to say, stay disciplined and dependent. There truly is joy found in living a disciplined and dependent life like Tom Nesbitt. Make 2022 a year marked by Christ's joy found in discipline and dependence. And as we all stumble our way forward, looking forward to his return, remember, don't miss this, okay? Remember that the same unearned gift of grace and love and joy from God, even on your worst day of being disciplined this year, even on that day where you just completely drop the ball, God still loves you the same. And that does not cheapen everything I just said. It actually enhances it. What amazing fuel for us to be disciplined. It not just produces joy, but even the days where I stumble a bit and fumble in my spiritual disciplines, God still loves me the same. That's the God I want to follow and live a devout, righteous, disciplined life. Looking forward to his return. Let's pray. Jesus.